Welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momina Sidi, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Hi everyone, this week on the podcast, I'm interviewing Jess Sherman. Jess is the author of the book, Raising Resilience. While teaching high school, Jess became concerned to learn that most of her students were on medication. When she discovered the profound impact of nutrition and stress on resilience, she set her mind to helping the busy, frustrated, worried parents of these kids find natural, simple ways to help them thrive. She now reaches parents around the world through her book, her virtual community, and her online Resilience Roadmap coaching program. Jess is a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and a board certified in practical holistic nutrition. She is an associate member of the International Society for Nutritional Psychiatry Research, a certified GAPS practitioner, and she holds a master's degree in education from the University of Toronto. I hope you really enjoy our conversation today. We go into a lot of detail um, about how to help give resilience to children with autism. So um, I hope you enjoy it and let's listen in. Hi, Jess. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. Great today. Yeah, this is great. I'm so excited to have you on. Um, So I love to start off by just asking everyone what got them into the line of work that they do. Yeah, I, uh, I got into what I do now from a teaching background. So I started I started off uh, working with with kids and actually I did some adult education too. but really what drove me to study nutrition and, and health and what I do now is that I was just seeing in the classroom so many kids were struggling. And I mean, I was working in a pretty, pretty amazing, uh, I, I suppose you could call it non-conventional type of education. We were doing experiential education, a lot of hands-on stuff. We had a lot of struggling kids to begin with because that was just kind of the demographic we were working with because they weren't like fitting into regular regular school. And we had so many great tools and tricks and you know educational stuff. We had a heavy, heavy emphasis on safety and connection and we were doing great things, but uh, still like so many kids were struggling. And so I kind of got a little bit burnt out. I, I left teaching partly because I felt burnt out, but partly because I was feeling ineffective and I was feeling like, there's something else going on with these kids. Like what's happening? Um, And I was really frustrated that our only referral path was, was to like psych ed evaluation, medication, and like pathologizing what these kids were going through. So I left for a sabbatical um, and, uh, and studied nutrition and health, which I'd always been interested in. Uh, And I had my first kid (laughs) and, um, so, you know, and I learned all of this stuff about nutrition and how, you know, the body affects the brain and, and the brain affects the body and how, you know, I was looking at our, our strategies and I was like, why aren't doctors, teachers, parents, nutritionists, like, why aren't we all t- teaming up to help kids as, uh, from a holistic perspective 
versus having these like compartmentalized, like, well, you go to the GI person or you go to the mental health person or you go to the educator person and none of them were talking to each other. So I got um, really interested in how the body affects the brain and how nutrition affects the body and therefore how nutrition affects the brain. Um, and I decided not to go back to teaching because I was like, oh my gosh, people need this information. It's just not coming through and it makes so much sense. Um, and then that just kind of compounded because I started working with kids and teaching parents and seeing successes. And I was like, oh, it started to snowball. It's like, we have this whole new toolbox. Everyone needs to learn about this. Um, and so that's what I, what I focus on now. Yeah, I think we're also grateful that you chose that path, right? Because we've all been learning so much from you. You have a book and um, I, I personally have seen you in so many um, speaking engagements and summits. So I feel like we're all really grateful for that fork in the road for you. So that, um, and I think one of the things leading from what you were talking about, you know, the fact that there's nutrition and the connection between nutrition and the body and the brain. Um, I wanted to talk about how parents can use that frame for, for their kiddos with, with autism or any of the kids on, on the spectrum, right? What is, um, what is this connection that, that they can tap into for their kids' health? So, you know, autism is, it's such an, it's such an interesting phenomenon. It's for all, and I, I say this for all diagnoses, all diagnoses, especially the ones that are behavioral, they are collections of symptoms that meet a certain criteria, right? Whether it's ADHD or dyspraxia or, or autism, it's a collection of symptoms. And what we now so many people have been asking the question, what's causing the symptoms, right? That's the question we should all be asking. And it's been asked by very, very smart people, what's causing the symptoms? And when we ask that question and we follow that research train, we find some really interesting things about what's typically going on inside the body that turns into these symptoms. Right, so in that sense, when you start to understand what's going on in the body, you can see, well, autism is, is, a, is a, a response to something going on in the body. Now, where, the, where there's disconnect or disagreement is some people will say, well, autism is causing these things like digestive discomfort, right? Like autistic kids are notoriously, they have bad digestion, picky eating and lots of GI upset, right? So some people will say, well, it's because they have autism that they have this GI stuff. And then some people will say, no, it's because they have this GI stuff that they have autism. So that's where there's like, you know, it depends on who you talk to as to what framework they use. Um, nonetheless, there is this correlation that a lot of autistic people have stuff going on in their gut. And just in the last 20 years or so, we really flushed out that there's actually a nervous system in the gut and that the gut and the brain are constantly talking to each other. There's an immune system in the gut. There's an immune system in the brain. And so, you know, we're, we're understanding much more that about that it kind of, it's kind of both. Everybody's right. You know, it's like you have these symptoms, which are causing the digestive issues. 
you have the neurological symptoms causing digestive issues and you have digestive issues causing neurological symptoms. So it's not a, it's not a either or, it's a, it's a yes and kind of situation. And then the question becomes, well, what can we do? Where can we intervene? Where can we get in there and, and work on the body? And that's why I love nutrition so much because you know, you can't drill into the head and like manipulate the brain, right? You, you, there are lots of great therapies where you can actually, you know, help people see things differently, but, or understand things differently, right? But once you get the body functioning better, the brain work works better. And then you do the brain work and then the body starts to work better and you get this snowball of improvement because you're working from both directions. So that's what I really wish was like more mainstream is like, let's stop fighting about whether the brain's causing the gut issues or the gut issues are causing the brain. Like it's both. Let's do both. Yeah. But then if parents had to prioritize, and so you did say of looking at nutrition and looking at the gut um, foremost, right? Before looking into therapies for the brain, because working um, on therapies for the brain in isolation will not really give us the results that we're looking for. Um, but starting off with the gut, right, to give it kind of like um, a platform to go on, would that be like the first um, step that you would ask parents to look at? I think it depends on the child and it depends on the family situation. I think, you know, a lot of parents have great, um, uh, make a lot of advancements working on like integrating reflexes, for example, which is, or occupational therapy, which is more of a work on the brain and the, and the body and the nervous system before they can even get their kid to eat more than bread <laughs> or something, right? And, and start to work on the gut. Um, and sometimes people will, will try to do that work, the occupational stuff, but the kid is just so off the wall and so, so like, you know, hyper or, or can't for, for whatever, you know, their behavior is so off that they can't actually make headway there. And then it's like, okay, well, maybe we don't start there. Maybe we start with trying to tinker with the gut. Maybe we start to look for fungal infections and, and see what's happening or nutrient deficiencies. And maybe some supplements can, can start to calm the nervous system so that the child can be more receptive to the occupational therapy, right? So it really depends on, on where you are. I think both are super valuable approaches um, I just think it's, it's not common for a family to be offered both approaches, right? Or, or to see both. I mean, sometimes they'll be, they'll go, um, you know, people have their own biases, right? So you go to a nutritionist and they'll be like, no, you got to do the nutrient. You got to get gluten out before do anything else. Or you'll go to an occupational therapist and they'll say, oh, you got to do the OT before, before anything else. You know, we all have our biases. And so parents, I think, need to just gauge and say, okay, we need to do both but what makes most logical sense to start with? Yeah, and like you said, it's a very individual answer to that, right? So for every child, it might be different. So what you're seeing with the signs and symptoms that your child is expressing might kind of help direct which, which way to go. But for those parents who are looking at, at gut health as an answer, what would be a good place to start? Um, I think comprehensive stool analyses are great. Um, you know, gut zoomer testing or GI map testing, anything that's going to look to see what the state of the microbiome is. I mean, it's really, 
it's really not up. I don't know. I, maybe I should, maybe this is too, <laughs> too bold a statement, but I don't think it's up for debate anymore that the gut affects the brain and that, you know, there, there's nuances in that conversation about, you know, which bacteria does what, um, but, you know, infection, if there's an infection in the gut, that's going to, that's going to cause behavior issues. Um, it's going to rev up the nervous system. It's going to rev up cortisol and, and um, inf inflammation. So I think that's a great place to start to just say like, what's actually going on in there. Um, organic acid urine tests are also really helpful just to see like, I don't, I don't always jump right to, to some kind of screening test. Like sometimes you can tinker with things, but with autism, things are, it's such a complex biochemical situation that it's really helpful to get a snapshot. I mean, these are not diagnostic tests. They're not going to tell you um, what's causing a problem. It's just going to give you, it's going to open up the doors, right? And show you what the opportunities are for improving the pillars of, of function. Yeah. It's like you said in the beginning, they're not it's not one thing that's causing it. They're like a, a series of, of, of things that kind of make themselves show up as autism. So it's not just that even if we do these, these tests, they will kind of open the door for like one thing to focus on. So if, like you said, whether it's yeast infections or fungal infections, whether it's ba bacterial overgrowth, it kind of gives us a window into, okay, this is one thing that is out of balance. Let's look at that. Let's focus on that. And let's get that back into balance before we kind of move on to something else. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's looking at the inflammatory load, right? The stress load of a body. I think of an autistic body as being under a, a lot of stress and that it so much stress that it can't cope with that stress. Like we have a remarkable mechanisms for coping with stress, but if the stress load, the inflammation load is so high, then signals are going to get blocked. Nutrients are going to get blocked. You know, digestion is going to feel terrible. They're going to like feel physically ill. The immune system is going to be all wonky. And so the, the brain can't, can't develop, can't function, can't, can't, um, be optimal. So all we're talking about here is, well, let's, let's identify what's causing your particular inflammatory burden and where can we bring that down? And that's one of the reasons why this hasn't made its way into conventional medicine, because conventional medicine wants the protocol from my perspective, like from what I see, it's like, you know, they don't like they don't like it when there's like, well, gluten worked for this person, but not for this person, right? Because then it's like, well, where's the protocol in that? What's not worth it? But it sure is if your kid is the one for whom that helped, you know? So it's, it's so individualized, but that's what we're looking at here is what's causing the stress load, what's causing the infl inflammatory burden and, and how can we relieve that? Relieve that? Yeah. And so with some of the clients that you've worked with, how has that helped improve um, their, their outcomes? So once you do kind of address uh, or get their stool samples or even their oats test done, how does that help with some of the behaviors that, that show up with autism? Do you see that there is a reduction in load or how does that work? Yeah, I see, um, I see often clostridia is a problem that shows up more on the organic acid test than it does on the stool test. Um, 
when Clostridia is there, this is an infection in the digestive tract. When that's there, you know, it's going to interfere with neurotransmitter function. It's going to interfere with digestion. It's, it just gets in the way of everything. So, um, so that one, you know, sometimes a holistic practitioner can, can deal with that with herbs and things. Sometimes you need to go to a doctor and get antifungals and, and antibacterials and antimicrobials and things. Um, but that will definitely calm a kid down as their neurotransmitters start to function. Um, you know, one of the things that Clostridia does and Candida does this too, is it derails tryptophan, which is an amino acid. I don't want to get too like specific here, but a tryptophan is an amino acid. We get it when we eat protein and then we, we take our protein, we break down our protein into amino acids, which are little building blocks. Tryptophan is one of them. And then we take those amino acids and we reconstruct them into other things. So tryptophan gets turned into serotonin and melatonin. And one of the things that these infections will do is they'll derail that tryptophan from creating serotonin into creating something called quinolinic acid, which is very excitotoxic, neurotoxic when it builds up too high. So there you have a kid who's gonna be low in serotonin, which is our feel good, one of our happy hormones, low in melatonin, which we create for, from serotonin, which is our sleep hormone. So a kid who is, doesn't feel good, is moody and anxious and can't sleep. And they've got this buildup of quinolinic acid and excitatory hormones that's keeping them revved up all the time. And maybe even pain in the head. So sometimes you get the, like the, the head banging. So, the issue there is you got to get rid of that infection so that the pathways return to, to normal. Um, so that's just one, one little example. Um, another one I see a lot is food sensitivities, which will, uh, sounds counterintuitive, but if a child is, you know, addicted to something like dairy or gluten, they're going to be very picky. And as we break those, food addictions, their palate starts to open up. And I, it, this takes a huge leap of faith on the part of parents, because I know, you know, when your, your child only eats three things and they're all gluten and dairy, taking that out sounds absolutely undoable. Um, but I do see this as a pattern that if you can break those food addictions, the palate starts to open up, digestion starts to get better, inflammation starts to come down and they do start eating more yeah yeah it's it's a process right it it's something that we would hope that you know they, they would just kind of go off of gluten and dairy and start eating everything else soon but it's not it's um and it's a valid concern of a lot of the parents it takes a lot of time a lot of struggle in the household to get them to the point where they're eating a, a vast um array of foods but it's one that is so well worth all of that effort that you put in that you actually see um, their health improve as a result of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the hardest things to ask a parent to do. And, and it's, it's frustrating. Sometimes parents will come to me. They're like, you know, we were told, we were told to take out gluten and given this handout and we're like freaking out. Right. And I'm like, yeah, handout's not going to cut it. Like this is a long, painful process for parents and without some kind of support by your side, um, without like the parent and the co-parent, if there are two parents involved without you guys being on the same page, um, it's really going to be a struggle. 
So yeah, it's doable. It's totally doable, but um, it's not easy. Yeah, no, for sure. And so when we talk about these food allergies, and so you spoke about um, gluten and dairy, can there be other things that parents should be looking at um, food wise that could be causing um, either behavior issues or just mood issues? Yeah, I mean, food like, like, so the first thing that I tell parents is that if you're going to go that's root, if you're going to go like a, like a nutritional natural approach and try to help your child feel better, you really need to develop an unwavering sense of confidence that this matters, right? You need to know in your, in your soul that this is a good idea, right? So you need to do whatever you need to do. Like you can take someone's word for it, or you can do the research, or you can talk to parents or what, whatever, or get a coach, you need to do whatever you need to do to like go. Cause you can't do this part way because you'll get part way in and it's going to fall apart. And, and then you'll be like, ah, can't do it. So, and the crux of it is this. Okay. We usually think of as body systems, like, like autism is a, is a neurological system issue. We now know it's not, it's a full body issue, but it's, it's still conventionally thought of as a neurological system. But if you break apart the systems, right, you get cells, right? Cells are the little like Lego building blocks of the body cells. Cells work together to create tissues, tissues work to get together to create organs like the liver and the brain, and then organs work together to create systems. So the neurological system can be broken down into, if you break it down far enough, you get cells, right? And cells require nourishment. So if there is a breakdown somewhere in the system, it means that the cells are not getting what they need. There can be genetic issues and there can be all kinds of issues, but this is the approach that I use, right? The cell's not getting what it needs. Why is it not getting what it needs? Either it's not coming in, insufficient coming in, or signals or messages are getting derailed. It's not doing, it's not doing what it's supposed to do, like the example that we gave before, right? So that's where we work. That's where we work. We bring in the nourishment and we try to get rid of any interfering factors that we can and then function improves because the system improves. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it's, it's amazing for parents to think of it like that, right? It, it even breaks it down way beyond just like gluten or dairy. It's, it's way beyond that. It's just trying to get rid of a lot of that noise around your cells, right? That, that you're talking about to literally get in all of, the information so the food and the nutrition is like the information and getting it there to allow those cells to do the work that they need to do which up until now with a lot of these kids that's where the problem is that they're not able to do their job efficiently yeah and this is also why you know it's not just it's not just gluten it's not gluten and dairy a gluten dairy free diet is not going it's going to work for some kids because for some kids that's the problem the problem is they're reacting to gluten and dairy but for a lot of kids that's not the problem but it's part of the problem because for the very simple reason that gluten and dairy have sugars and proteins in them in those foods that are very hard to digest because of how they're made they're just very hard to digest. So if you give an already stressed out body 
something that's stressful to manage, it's gonna just add to the stress load, right? And what we wanna do is reduce the stress load, reduce the inflammatory burden. So that's why, you know, gluten and dairy are the, and sugar is up there too. They're just adding stress to the already stressed out body. So I do like to pull them out, but, and this is a big but, because you asked about, you know, are there other things to, to think about with, with nutrition? Very rarely do I pull out gluten and dairy first. And I'm probably like one of the few people who will say this because most nutritionists will say, take out the gluten and dairy, which is important, but I'm a big proponent of nourishment, nourish first. So the approach that I take is to nourish first because because we also know a lot else about the bodies of, of autistic kids. There was one study where they were able to look at um, methylation markers. Methylation is just a, it's a complicated process in the body. And they were able to predict autism 98% of the time correctly based on it, methylation markers. So what that tells us is that the majority, not every single one, but the majority of autistic kids are not very good methylators. That means they typically need methyl donors, which is things like CME or methyl B12. They typically need more folate than the average person. Not always, but this is something you could flush out through testing. Um, so those are things they need more of, not less of. So bringing in nutrients is usually how I try to start. And if we can't do it through food, then we do it through supplements. And then soon after that, we need to get rid of that inflammatory load because they're not going to be absorbing all of those nutrients if there's a lot of inflammation. So we do need to get there quickly. But um, sometimes that, that allows parents to relax a little bit because you know, the, the typical, the typical response when you take, when you say, well, you got to take gluten and dairy out is, <gasps> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, what? Okay. I'm not going to do that. So if we did, like, yeah, 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 totally logical. It's not easy to do, but if we can say, you know, start with some supplements, start to, but let's try to get the body methylating a little bit better and then we'll see where we're at and we'll see, um, you know, we'll see if we need to go further. And usually you do with autism, but not always. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, yeah, I've added, you know, a good, just sort of one last little thing on that, like with, with ADHD and ADD, which is, I think of on the same continuum as autism, right? It's just much more mild, but it's very similar biochemistry going on. Sometimes all we need to do is add in the nutrients. Yeah. And we don't ever get to the inflammation because it was the lack of nutrients that was causing the inflammation. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and it makes sense. Right. And that was something I was going to get to as well about the fact that a lot of times we have these nutrient deficiencies in the body. And especially for these kiddos, there are a lot of them or at least some that are key and vital nutrients that they don't have either enough of or there's an imbalance in them that is causing a lot of um this stress and inflammation in their body. And that's exactly what you said that you do. You first try to correct that rather than taking away um, food groups that are practically the only food groups they eat. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's kind of similar to what we started with. It's like a yes. And right. It's like, 
yes, you know, gluten and dairy probably have to go. And we also need to nourish the body. So what's the most logical place for you to start? Um, and if parents come to me and they're like, yeah, we're pretty much gluten free, but not totally. I'm like, okay, well, if you're that close, then let's start there because it's only going to be a matter of changing a few little things. Yeah. But if they come and they're like, you know, my child only eats bread and pasta and nothing else and maybe some cheese on top. It's like, okay, well, we're not going to start by taking that out. We're going to start elsewhere. So it really just depends on where you're at. Yeah. And um, So what are some of the nutrients that parents should be looking out for? So you spoke about, um, you know, things for, for methylation. So like the B vitamins, the folate, et cetera. What else should they be looking out for, for imbalances? Well, you know, what I do now, and this is a sort of a recent addition to my, my toolbox, but what I do now with that is I do nutrigenomics testing. And I just connect parents with that. It's a very simple um, saliva test, cheek swab test. So it's not invasive. It's not hard to do. And that tells us their methylation status. It tells us whether it's folate they need or B12 they need or something like that. I can't do injections. That's beyond my scope of practice, but a lot of kids do really great on, on B12 injections. Um, but that you'd go to a doctor for that. But, um, a, you know, a nutrigenomics panel will tell you what nutrients maybe, maybe, you know, what it will also tell you is whether you have a propensity towards uncontrollable inflammation right? It, it doesn't tell you what's happening, but it will tell you the predispositions of a child. So if you have a child who comes back with a lot of variants showing that they are predisposed to inflammation, well, then you know, like things like sugar and things like chemicals and things like, you know, viruses and, and bacterias are going to set them off. Right. So that might be where you need to, to focus your attention. Yeah. If it doesn't come back as being an issue, then maybe you have to focus your attention elsewhere. But I do, I do feel like I want to give parents as many tools as they can to focus their attention on the things that are going to give them the most bang for their buck, you know, because there's limited time and energy. So, yeah. And uh, also, I think yeah. the worry always of parents of how many times can you poke the child? Because already you have to realize that these kiddos are very high anxiety or they don't like to be poked and prodded too much. It's hard to get them even into the, into like our offices or, um, and, mm -hmm. and so it's hard to, um, to do a lot of these things. And so for something like a, like a swab test, and we've had someone come on the podcast and talk to us about all of those things. So it, it makes it so much easier, right? You understand whether you're over or under utilizing certain, um, certain nutrients and, and the way that they, your body responds to that. So, you know, instead of for parents to feel overwhelmed, that there's so many tests to do and so many different things, I feel like it's almost providing them with hope that these are the options that are out there, right? So these are things that we can find out what's going on with. Yeah. 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 And you don't want to, I mean, you could spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on, on tests and you don't want to do that. So I, you know, I focus in on, on a few of them that at least give us some starting points. Right. But when it comes to nutrients, I think we can also get super hyper focused on specifics and, and then you end up in, you know, I see parents with like bags of supplements and they're like, my, my child needs like $600 worth of supplements every month to function. And, and I want to, I want to get us to a point where like a lot of kids with autism in particular, they will need supplements because there are 
there are a lot of, um, I don't know what the right word is, a lot of functions that need supporting, right? There's a lot of stress, but, um, you know, we can sometimes get them to a point where there's like a few key ones over time that, that they just really need to focus on. That's ideal, right? If we get the diet right and they're getting a lot of nutrients from their diet and then we have a few supplements to, to correct the biochemistry or at least improve it. Um, detoxification often helps too, right? Like just drink, opening up the drains, like letting, you know, that's, that's one of the, one of the um, uh, byproducts, I suppose, or one of the things that happens when people don't methylate well is they also don't detoxify well. And so if those, if that's clogged or if your child's super constipated and they're just, you know, recycling um, waste, basically that gets reabsorbed into the body, they're going to, again, have this inflammatory burden and this toxic load. So we got to get, get that going. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't love it when we have to like hyper-focus on, you know, 17 different nutrients. It just becomes unsustainable for families, but if there are a few key ones. Yeah. And it kind of goes in with what you were talking about earlier. It's, I think the focus and the, and the idea of doing a lot of these things that we're doing is to reduce the inflammation. Once we're able to do that, the body knows how to take care of itself. So it kind of finds a way to start its own function. So coming back to that one little unit of cells, cells will then learn to re you know, re-engineer how to work itself, how it was intended to work. It's just when we give it the raw materials that it needs to function, um, that then it kind of says, oh yeah, I remember that's what my job was. And then it kind of starts doing that again. And, and it kind of falls into what you're saying. You don't want to give them bags of nutrients and supplements, but it's just getting them to that point where the body starts to function the way that it was meant to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we do live in a fortunate time where we can, it's almost like we, we have the solutions to create, to, to solve the problem that we created in the first place. You know, I do think autism, when you, it is an epigenetic kind of thing, right? It's like, I don't know that that's, maybe that's too bold a statement too, <laughs> that, but there, I mean, that's how I look at it. It's epigenetic. It's, it's caused by the, 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 it's, it, it, blossoms at the intersection of environment genetics nutrition and biology right it's like it's like this perfect storm that these kids are in yeah. um so you know we can we can tinker with some of those things yeah and, and i like that you say perfect storm because um in uh, epidemic answers that's one of the things that we're we're trying to look at it as right it's like the total load like the body of the small child whether he is just two years old and, and doesn't have a diagnosis but parents are so sure that they're going towards that it's just that they were born in with that total load that was so high that the body was just not able to handle it and that is why a lot of these signs and symptoms and behaviors and and mood um, issues show up as a result of that yeah. Yeah. And it, and there's no question in my mind that this is getting worse. I mean, there's, there's the, there's the constant debate. I mean, I, I can, I can link you to a few blog posts that I, that I wrote about this if you want, but I mean, there's this constant debate of just like, is it, are we just diagnosing it better? Are we looking for different things or is this really an issue? And there is zero doubt in my mind and 
I think if you if you talk to anybody who works with children and has worked with children for like about 10, 15 years, it's getting worse. I mean, kids are struggling for so many reasons. Um, and, and, and the statistics show that. So they're, they are, I, I think I do think of it as a, a, stre- a stress storm that they have never before been exposed to so much stress. And at the same time, have such a low window of tolerance for stress. Yeah. And the simplest way to think about that is that that's because on the on the low tolerance side for stress, that's because our stress response system is driven by nutrients. So they're undernourished and the, the, the total stress load, you can think of the psychological stressors and the social stressors and the environmental stressors, but there's also this biological stress that's driven by chemicals, food sensitivity, um, like all the things that cause inflammation in the body. So we just, we just, that's what we have to work with regardless of diagnosis, you know, regardless of what's actually going on. Maybe they don't even have a diagnosis. Even maybe if you just want to maintain health, you still need to nourish, improve the window of tolerance to stress and reduce stressors as much as you can. It's just with autism, you have less wiggle room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, for parents that are probably listening and we kind of did um, talk about that, but for their kids that are really picky, right? Um, and, and we're very, very selective in the foods that they eat. How can we help the parents to start off from like this place where they're only eating two foods and one particular brand of pasta and then move them to like a more um, wider range of foods? How do you help your clients make that bridge? Uh, it's a slow, painful process. <laughs> um, I think the first thing to think about is what kind of picky eater do you have? Is this a texture thing? Is this a smell color thing? Is this that they eat the thing and they don't feel well? Is this an addiction? Right? So there's, there's a lot of different subcategories that all look like picky eating, just like there are a lot of subcategories that look like autism, right? Um, So I think that's the first thing is that we need to get detective on it. Um, If you're if you do get a stool sample back, and you see a lot of pathogens, like chances are, it's an addiction. And it's like they're addicted if it's gluten and dairy, if they're avoiding certain food groups, it probably they just don't feel good when they eat those things, particularly if it's like high protein foods. I often see that as a as a thing. They won't eat eggs. They won't eat meat. Sometimes that's a texture issue. Sometimes that's because they're not digesting protein very well, so it makes them feel nauseous and heavy and. Bleh. Uh, so that's the first thing I think is got to figure out what kind of picky eater you have so that you can match the resolution strategy, right? Um, and I have, and I have a little guide on that too, that maybe I can share with you guys to how to do that detective. Um, and the other tip I would give about picky eaters is you have limited time and energy, right? All parents do, especially when your child has special needs. Um, So does it make most sense for you to focus on removing foods or adding foods, right? I I personally, I like the approach of, of adding foods and pushing foods out. But you have to be very slow, especially if you have a sensory kid. 
right? Because they'll they'll know right away that you've changed something. Um, but like little simple things. So so if you let's let's just take the sensory kid for example, because a lot of parents probably have those kids. How can you add to the nutrient density of their favorite food without freaking them out, without changing the color, texture, and and taste too too much? Right. So a little example of that might be, let's say they love macaroni and cheese. You've got your macaroni and cheese recipe. You can put a little bit of pumpkin puree in with the orange cheese. It's not going to change too too much, but it's adding a little bit of something. Right. Um, so that's just a little quick example. If you're even more bold, maybe you try to change the type of pasta to have a pasta that's higher in protein and is gluten-free, like a quinoa pasta or something. So you can decide how fast you need to go to not freak your child out. But the reality is, is that those cells need nourishment. Those cells need nourishment and you, you need to develop a confidence that like this really matters. We need to get that nourishment in. But I think, you know, you can't, you can't take two small baby steps, but you can take two big steps because that's going to freak everyone out and it's going to cause too much stress. So uh, that's how I like to think about it is we're just adding things in to get the nourishment into the cells really gradually and starting to push out the stuff we don't want there. Yeah. And, you know, I like to tell a lot of the families that I work with to use every feeding time as an opportunity to give them that nourishment. And I, and I love what you said about mac and cheese, because that's exactly what I, I give them an idea of try to like throw in something that is going to give them some form of nourishment, right? So whether it's like a puree of a vegetable, whether it's two, but like, it's just finding that one step at a time finding a way to nourish their body. And over time, if you keep doing that consistently, you're able to add things in, you're able to expand their palates, able to change those taste receptors as well um, as time goes by. Yeah, you really, you really do. And like I, like I said before, and you've probably seen this too, it takes a huge leap of faith when parents are just like, okay, I'll try it. I don't think this is going to work. Um, but you know, shift that mindset because if you feel that way, your child also senses that, yeah. right? And so if you if you're like, yeah, try this, honey, <laughs> see if you like it, they're not gonna like it, right? And so really, like, find your inner alpha and just say, this matters. We need to nourish yourselves. This is what we're doing, and there will be pushback. Yeah. There will be moments when you're just like, Oh, this isn't worth it. But it is 100% worth it 1000% worth it. Yeah. And, um, and over time, you it will things will things will shift and things will change. Yeah. And I think that's why um, conversations like these are important to educate parents. So they know the reason why, right? So now they know why they need to make those shifts. So it kind of gives them more of that push and they're more confident in their in their decision to stick to um, trying to make these changes, right? So they wouldn't w waver as easily as they would otherwise. Um, and so they know that, you know, at the end of all of this, the prize for that is to have a healthy child or to have a resilient child. Um, but it gives them something to hold on to um, in this whole process, which is not easy, like we've said. Yeah, no, it's, it's not easy. I mean, I think I discovered, I sort of had this moment about, 
gosh, I don't know, two or three years ago when I was like, I was like, why is this so hard? And, and I realized like, you know, it's hard enough to change your own diet, right? It's hard enough to make a decision and be like, I'm going to exercise and need a clean diet and take out sugar. We all know how hard that is. Oh yeah. And you're trying to do that, but for another person who doesn't have your mouth and doesn't have your brain, you know, like that's a whole nother layer of complexity. And, um, and many times like they're struggling too. So just beyond it being like another person, that child is already struggling with so many things inside their body um, that this is just one more thing that is changing for them. So everything around them is just constantly in this state of flux and they have no control over anything. And so that one thing that they have control over, whether they open their mouth or not, even if that is changing, it's just such a a difficult world to be in at that point. But it's about that, like you said, if the parents stay confident and if they exude that, that confidence for their child, then they have something to hold on to um, as well saying, okay, if mommy's seeing it and she looks like she really means business has to be something. Yeah. I think we underestimate how powerful a tool that is. I really, I really do. And, and autistic kids, there tend to be like super sensors, like they're very sensitive to their environment. They're very perceptive. They're very, even if they don't look like they are, or they don't have eye contact or whatever, like they're very competent in there. And, um, and and so, yeah, I mean, take time to celebrate their achievements, even if it's like, you know, oh my gosh, you ate two bites instead of one bite. Like that's freaking amazing. Take time to celebrate those, pat yourself on the back. There is no step that is too small to be worthy of celebration um you know and and make that part of your culture of just like yay we're nourishing ourselves take be be mindful of how you're talking about food around them even if they're nonverbal and you think that they're not hearing you like they are they're sensing you and um so i i would just encourage you to not discount that energetic exchange, the value of that energetic exchange. Yeah, I feel like that's such a great um, point at which we can, you know, end this conversation because it's, it gives parents something uplifting to think about, right? That there is so much hope there. Um, and I think that's one of the, the reasons why I wanted to do this was to provide parents with an opportunity that there is hope, right? There's information there, there's ways to go about it. There are people like you, they're doing so much for, for families. Um, where can families reach out to you? Uh, I know you have a book, it's called Raising Resilience, which is amazing. And so I, I would really recommend parents pick that up and read that. But where else can they um, contact you? Yeah, my home base is justsherman.com. So that's three, three yeses in a row, just Sherman. Um, and everything is there. The, my book is there. Raisingresilience.ca is the direct page to my book. Um, but I, you know, I created a program around it, the Resilience Roadmap, so that I could walk parents through step-by-step step, holding their hands every step of the way because you just don't do this alone. Like you don't need to be alone. Um, and connect people with the right tests and the right supplements and the right foods. So yeah, everything is at justsherman.com. I went 100% virtual about three years ago. So I'm happy I did that. So I can, I can cross borders and and reach people all over the place, which is really fun. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been so insightful. And I, and I hope the parents can really lean into everything that you've said and kind of take 
inspiration from all of that and hope. I hope so. I hope so. I, I know sometimes it's harder to know you should, you could do something, but you don't feel able to. And I, I really am and sensitive to that. I know as a parent, it's sometimes you're just like, Oh, I wish I didn't know that. because now I have to do something about it. And I don't feel like I can. So if that's happening, as you're listening to me, just like know that that's not the intention. I do think knowledge is power. But I also think that you need to take as you're doing your learning, around your child's body from whomever you're learning it from take all the little pieces of information that you're learning and translate that into an action step because there's nothing more paralyzing than having information that you don't know what to do with and you're just like you're stuck right so just take anything that i've said and try to translate it into one little piece that you can act act on and and go from there yeah, I think that's, um, I, I love that. I think um, every parent, it just gives perspective, right? Take it mm -hmm. easy, take it slow, but just find a way through and keep keep at it, keep working at knowing that there is something at the end that you want to achieve. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on. This has been amazing. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends, and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcasts. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find the show more easily. Visit momenasaleemcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes. And sign up to receive a weekly update. Helping Children Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next week.